Hello, welcome to the third episode of the Habibi Collective podcast. I'm Noor Halo, and today I'm in conversation with Iraqi feature film editor uh, Shahnaz Dulaimi. Hi, Noor. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. So, Shahnaz, can you tell us a bit about your background and how you came to be introduced to editing and film editing? Um, yeah, so um, I grew up in Jordan. I am Iraqi, but I grew up in Jordan, went to school there. Um, and I decided to go to university in Italy. Um, and then at university, I, start, I studied filmmaking. Um, and it was through my studies at university that I found the role of film editing. It wasn't something that I necessarily knew that I wanted to do. Um, but it kind, I kind of stumbled upon that role. So I went to university, I studied um, film history, and then from there I went into video production. Um, and you get to do all the different roles from screenwriting, producing, directing. And when I finally got to editing, it just felt natural to me and I fell into that role and I knew that this is what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life. Nice. Um, it just, it, I mean, it's strange to say that I didn't know that I wanted to be an editor, but it came very naturally to me. But it's one of those things where it's only by experience, it becomes apparent to you. Um, so yeah, if it, if it weren't for that, I wouldn't have known that I wanted to be an editor. Yeah. Okay. So can we talk a bit about editing itself? So you have a really big role in deciding the pace of, of the movie and the rhythm. And um, it's basically like storytelling. So can you talk a bit about that? Um, I'm happy that you mentioned storytelling because the film editor is the absolute final storyteller of the film. And it's often said that the story is told three times when a film is made and it's during the script form, during production, and then during the edit. And usually once it gets to the edit stage, the film changes completely. Oftentimes what you read on a script, it translates very well nicely on paper and you find yourself flipping through it very naturally. But then you get to see it on screen and it's a completely different context whether it's the actor's emotions being completely different, or sometimes there are repetitions in a specific word or a sentence or an emotion that is not specifically apparent um, in the script, but for some reason when you see it within an hour and a half film, certain keywords sometimes feel repetitive that you feel, okay, I don't need that piece of information and you take it out. And then you end up restructuring the film, trying to find how it works better. And of course, there are so many variables from who was cast for that role. Um, you know, what happened on set that day? Did the actor perform properly? Did the director lose his mind? You know, whatever happened, right, there's yeah. so many factors that could affect it. That when you come to the edit, it changes completely. Um, and of course, rhythm and pace is one of the biggest important factors when you're trying to put that story together. And in a way, like the way a film runs is kind of like a dance. You play a waltz, for example, and then you have dancers kind of rushing in, they advance, they spin, they twirl. Um, they don't just move in one monotonous beat because that otherwise that would be walking, I guess. And filmmaking, film editing has the same 
um, method to it. We have to follow a certain pace, a certain rhythm where we kind of have to move in waves. The story does not go in one linear line. We have to go up, we have to go down, we have to follow the emotional transition of the characters and keep the audience engaged all throughout. And that is our biggest job as editors. Um, and a lot of people who learn the software come out saying, I'm an editor, but in reality, they're not. Especially in a world where, you know, everyone knows how to use a computer these days. Right. Everyone is pretty much tech savvy, um, can teach themselves how to use a software. That does not make you an editor. An editor is a storyteller. Your software are the tools that are available to you to be able to do your job. So they're the tools of the trade. And it doesn't matter which software you end up using. And, and this is a question that I get a lot. A lot of people come to me and say, which software do you prefer? Um, or which one do you think is best? Honestly, if it were up to me, I, I might choose um, Avid Media Composer because it provides the best tools for myself personally to be able to tell a story in the best way possible. But that does not mean that that same um, concept should apply to everyone else. If that software in specific does not work for you, just use something else, use whatever you're comfortable with, but your end result should be to tell the story in the best way possible. Um, and a lot of things affect the edit. Um, I'm sure you've seen it so many times on like different forms when people are um, picking on like how continuity is off. Like for example, an actor's <laughs> hand would be up and then in the next shot, the, the hand would be down. Um, and I laugh at those because for us as editors, we have to prioritize emotion and rhythm before continuity. Right. So if I am to sacrifice continuity, whether, you know, the actor's hand is up or down or her face is turned left rather than right. I'm, I'm willing to make that compromise if the emotion is key here. So yeah, it's, it's important, I think, for people to understand the role of an editor as a storyteller. Yes, definitely. And uh, can you tell us also a bit about sound editing in general, like sound and image and the importance of sound? Of course. Um, Sound is pretty much 50% of a film. Um, when you create a, an edit, when you cut a film, what you're basically doing is you're cutting on a 2D plane. Everything in front of you is on screen. It's two-dimensional. Creating sound is creating that multi-dimensional atmosphere and creating the environment for the film which you're immersed in as an audience. Um, and of course, like there are so many times when I, I'm sure you would sit in, um, in the cinema um, and when you have the proper sound design and you really feel it go all around you that you're not just there sitting at the screen, you're in the center of an environment. Um, and there are so many aspects to sound design. It's not just cleaning up the dialogue and creating the, um, the sound effects and then adding the music. There's also the mix of like add, 
putting all of these, uh, these elements together so that they mesh very well. Um, and usually when I'm editing, um, we usually start the sound design process simultaneously. And that's because a lot of these um, elements, the, the cleaner dialogue or adding uh, sound effects, adding ADR in the background, the Foley, the music, um, it could change the pace and the rhythm of the film. So what I had seen, for example, in the most basic form, adding all of these sound elements can change that. So I would usually work at the same time with the sound designers and they would send me a mix um, all throughout the edit. And then I would start tweaking the edit around the music so that bit by bit, we start chipping away until they kind of line up properly with each other. So you get, you've got the video that runs at a perfect pace and the sound that runs at a perfect pace. And then how do we line them up perfectly with each other? Um, but it's, it's so important. Sound is really what carries the picture through to the end. It really is. It can, and uh, there's Amazing. one incident <laughs> where, um, when I was working on scales, um, it's that feminist fable by Saudi director Shahed Amin. And while we were mixing um, scales in Paris, we were thinking about what would be the best sound for the mermaids uh, to call on the, on the girls who are well, being sacrificed nice. yes. in the sea. And literally, that was such an important element that we had thought about for weeks or even, even longer, probably for months, all throughout the edit, we were thinking, what would the mermaids be calling um, out to the girls? And at one point while we were in Paris, we ended up standing around a kiddie pool that we had filled with water and a microphone <laughs> immersed in that water. And it was me and Shahad and the executive producer, Mohammed Daraji, kind of <laughs> bent over that pool, calling out, Hayat! Hayat! <laughs> and that was the name of the, of the character in the film, the main character, uh, who was played by Basima. Um, but the thing is, we had to make sure that whatever element that we choose for the, the sound, the voice of that mermaid to be, is going to be very key. Because we can't just have um, a fictional character that we cannot see. And the only thing that defines that character is her voice or it's the sound that she makes. So what would that sound be? Um, our, our attempts kind of failed <laughs> at doing the, oh, the really? screaming. We ended up going with a distorted with a distorted sound of an orca eventually. But wow, that's that interesting. <laughs> so I guess my next question is, um, can you tell us a bit about, so you've worked with mainly feature length uh, narratives, but uh, can you tell us a bit more about like independent films versus working with bigger productions with more funding? Yeah, so I have worked on a spectrum of films within the feature film industry. Um, the difference between independent films and studio fil films are, it's not just the money that goes into it. Honestly, it's the amount of work, the amount of passion that goes into it yeah. as well. And I, I found that working on independent films, you do end up wearing 
a whole bunch of hats and playing a whole bunch of roles, trying your best to make that film happen. And a lot of people that join, um, you know, that small team are people that believe in that film or they're, they're very passionate about filmmaking that they would want it to succeed. They're not there for the money or the financial yes, gain at the amazing. end. Yes. Um, and there are so many things that, that kind of like, it, it's just amazing when you see so many people um, work so hard towards um, a goal, a unified goal, a common goal between everyone. Um, and for example, like when I worked on Deeb, we were literally a very small group of people. Um, some of the team on there, some of the crew members, the camera department, for example, were students at the time who were doing this as part of their credit. Um, and that film went on to do so well, but I almost did not get paid. Like I spent so much time on that film. Yes. But everyone was there because they wanted to be there. And, the, and, the, and it was so rewarding. Like the result of that was absolutely amazing. Um, when you get to like a bigger production film, obviously the teams are bigger. Everything's available to you. Anything that you need, you can pretty much ask for within budget, of course. It kind of makes things easier it makes you be able to reach your goal much faster. So as an editor, if I want to start, um, and like I was saying before, if I want to start editing with the sound mix simultaneously, oftentimes I cannot do that with um, an independent film because the budget is so limited. It would be really hard for a sound designer to get on board or a sound mixer to get on board um, and start doing all of these mixes and then and then remain engaged to make changes at the end. But then if I'm working on a studio film, that's possible because you know, they can get paid to continue for a longer period of time to make as many changes as possible. Um, so it, they're, they're, two different, they're two different ball games in terms of budgeting and in terms of workflow. But I feel like the end result or the storytelling aspect of it as an editor remains the same. You're, you're sitting in a room, focusing on your footage, focusing on your story, your characters, the emotion, the rhythm, and the pace. So at the end of the day, the basis of storytelling remains the same, no matter how big or small the budget is. It's just the workflow that changes. Okay. Okay. And um, now I want to talk about film editing as a profession and its history and how it was usually thought of as a woman's job uh, because it was uh, sewing scenes together and it was a material thing like to cut the the reel and can you tell us a bit about that exactly you kind of said it all honestly when film was introduced <laughs> it was considered kind of as a um, um, it, it was a task that resembled sewing or resembled knitting. Um, and, and that's why it was pretty much given to women alone to do that. But with the, with the advancement of film and the rise of, uh, of film theorists, um, such as Sergei Eisenstein, for example, who understood the power of editing and eliciting emotion from audiences, 
that became editing became a weapon in a way. Um, and it became, you know, a more intellectual task that is not really fit for women at the time. So they slowly oh, wow. yeah. shifted that mm. role towards men. Um, and then further down the line with the, with the introduction of, of the more recent technologies with the introduction of sound, um, you know, digital filmmaking, you hear so many big words that all of a sudden it became very masculine. You know, when you think technology and you think computers and you think big cameras or whatever it is, people immediately assume that that's a, that's a man's job or that's something that's more fit for a man. But in reality, it's not. Like, I don't think that there should be uh, any gender limitations on editing as a role. And I remember when I first moved, when I first moved back to Jordan after university at my first ever job there, um, one of the IT technicians had walked into the room. I needed some assistance with my computer. And he literally, he looked at me and said, I've never seen a woman editor before. Whoa. And that was, you know, that wasn't that long ago. Yes. Um, and I wanted to tell him that same story that, you know, editing had started off as a woman's job. So get your facts straight. But honestly, I don't blame him because even now, I've been editing for 10 years. And even now, a lot of times I get mistaken for the assistant editor. So if I walk into a room with either my male co-editor or a male assistant editor, the roles are immediately reversed they That's would they would go into yeah they would yeah. go um they would approach my male counterpart and say and talk to him as if he's the editor and then i'd have to kind of interrupt and say hi like i'm the editor here um, and and that has happened on very big budget productions with international crew members it's not a stigma within the region i, I wouldn't even mm -hmm. say like this is you know something that happens only in yeah. the middle east that this is something that still happens on a more international level unfortunately unless the person that you're talking to knows you personally then no they would mistake you and I even i had that oh my god i just remembered that um there was this one project that i was uh, working on in romania so they were shooting a film in romania uh, they don't know me my name is completely you know <laughs> yeah it's strange. not something that they have ever heard in their life. <laughs> yeah, it's completely strange. Um, and they, they didn't know who to expect. So I walked into the post-production house. And on the first day, I said, hi, I'm Shahnaz. I'm the editor. And one of them said, we expected a middle-aged man. And, <laughs> and I didn't know how to take that. Like, Obviously, it turns out, you know. Yeah, like, like what do you do in this situation? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we laughed about it afterwards, but like at first, I was like, "No surprise, it's just me." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like that—that that misconception still around, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But hopefully, we can change that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, but there's so many good editors. There are so many good female editors. Yeah. Um, like, what's her name? Rashida Abdissalam. She was an editor who cut most of Yusuf Shaheen's films in the 50s. Right. 
And like, yeah. no one has ever heard of her. Like, she's exactly. one of the first editors, that female editors, that have been introduced to the, the Arab film industry. And no one even knows who she is. But everyone talks about Yusuf Shaheen. So, everyone knows Yusuf Shaheen's films. Ooh. So do you find in general that women editors are less um, advertised than male editors? Or is it uh, in general the job of editor? Um, I think generally the job of an editor is completely underrepresented. Yeah. I mean, how many times would you think of a film and know who edited that? You yeah. generally know the director, <laughs> quite possibly the writer, maybe mm -hmm. the producers, mm -hmm. definitely the actors. Yeah. But no one would ever speak of the editors. But in reality, the editor is the person that spends the most amount of time working oh, yeah. on that film. Mm -hmm. And we're the ones who have the responsibility to make or break that film. Yes. And it changes. Like so much can change in an edit. Yeah, no, it's, it's sad. And one of... At one of the uh, film festivals in um, the past film festivals of, in Dubai, now I'm going to be throwing them under the bus, um, <laughs> I was invited to watch one of the films that I had cut. It was the first film that I had ever cut in the Emirates, Zinzana, and I attended the, the film festival. And I got to the red carpet, and I can see the team on on the other end of the red carpet. And one of the security guards there said, like he wouldn't let me through. And I was like, oh, but I work on this film. Like that's my team over there. And I was pointing at my team. Um, and he goes, sorry, I can't let you through. You're not VIP. And I ended up having to buy myself a ticket no to go way. watch a film that I cut no. at the film festival. That's insane. It is, and it's something that really saddens me because a lot of the roles in the film industry, especially here in the Arab film industry, are not given the importance that they're given. Whether you're an editor or the script supervisor, the grips, the gaffers, everyone who was involved in a film has a very important role to play. If it weren't for the drivers that drove the actors to set, we wouldn't have a film. If it's not for the caterers that are bringing the food to set, we wouldn't have a film. Definitely. The gaffers, the grips, mm -hmm. everyone. Um, and instead, film festivals have become a playground for, you know, Instagram influencers and mm -hmm. fashionistas and bloggers and, you know, whoever celebrities that are not even related to the film industry. Um, and that, that's really upsetting. Like, I just wish that the the crew in general as a whole are celebrated a lot more rather yes, than sure. how many instagram followers you have yeah and so this brings us to the the independent iraqi film festival who you co-founded um and so can you talk to us about it what was your drive for it uh Yeah. Um, yeah, the the Independent Iraqi Film Festival was this little project that um, a couple of friends and I had kind of come up with earlier this year. Um, so it was me, Roshin Taponi, um, Ahmed Habib, and Isra Kamali. 
um, and we got together to celebrate Iraqi cinema and help emerging Iraqi artists by providing a platform for them to showcase their work. And that's one of the biggest support that you can give filmmakers is by giving them a platform to be able to show their work because it gives them, um, it kind of gives them a drive to actually go out there and make something because if no one's going to watch yeah. it, then why would you make it? Yes. Um, and with film festivals in general, there is a lot of politics at play. Um, when you submit a film, you have to submit uh, with a fee. And a lot of the filmmakers in Iraq, for example, don't even have that kind of money to, to be able to even pay that small fee. Um, and of course, that's, that's just the first step of the politics. It goes much deeper than that. Um, so we felt we would build something for the community there by helping them showcase their work and make it accessible to everyone around the world by making it a free online screening um, for one week. Um, and it went really well in 2020. And I hope that we can bring it back next year and, you know, for several years to come yes. <laughs> with more support. Yes, definitely. Um, I think it's important. I think it's really, really important to showcase um, independent filmmakers, whether it's, the, whether it's through the Independent Iraqi Film Festival or other platforms, but people need to get on and watch them. Yes. And that's why we're creating Shasha, right? The, the, yes. the, the <laughs> streaming platform. So uh, do you think an editor should have courage? Yes, I think an editor definitely has to have courage. That is a very key word that you've just used because um, I personally, I don't like going to set. I don't like being yeah. emotionally attached to the actors and I don't like being emotionally attached to how a shot was taken because sometimes a director or like the entire crew might spend four or five hours getting that one big shot of the film. But if it doesn't work in the edit, you have to cut it out. Yeah. So yes, I do feel that editors definitely have to have the courage to be able to say, you know what, this shot doesn't work. Um, and I don't go to set so specifically so that I don't have that personal attachment to any of the shots, to any of the footage, the same way I di a director might have um, uh, an attachment to it. And the thing is the relationship between the director and the editor when it comes to the edit suite is the director is the visionary. He's the dreamer. And I'm the listener who's meant to put the director's vision on screen um, and, and I can easily differentiate a good editor from a good director from a bad director is when a director comes in telling me to let's say shave a frame or cut a frame or whatever I don't usually trust that I usually trust the director who speaks to me in terms of emotion if yeah. he says I want the character to have that specific emotion i want them to you know say this or have that or i want the actors to feel that um, or i want the audience to feel that off that character this is the emotion that i want to give off this is what i like to work with it is my job as an editor to achieve that so 
not being personally attached to the footage in terms of what was shot, but rather what's in front of me allows me to kind of go in, focus on every little detail, have the courage to throw out anything that doesn't work. And there were cases where I've thrown out entire characters in a film and I've thrown out entire scenes and I've had um, scenes shuffled around so that they tell a better story than what was scripted. And that was the case with Scales. Um, Again, going back to Scales, um, that was directed by Shahid Amin. It went to two different direct, two different editors before it landed on my edit because the first two cuts were just not working. They were following the script very closely. And the first two versions of the cut were almost three hours long. And then by the time it got to me and we were working on it two years later, we had cut the film down to 72 minutes. And I ended up cutting out complete characters. I think there were three, three characters in total that were cut out. Um, and we decided to strip the color to black and white. And that film ended up going to major film festivals, including Venice Film Festival um, in 2019. Um, and it won, uh, yeah, and it, it won an award there for most innovative film. Um, and, and speaking of color, by the way, mm-hmm. what I love, color plays a very big role in post because it focuses your, it focuses your attention on what you need to watch. Um, and part of the reason why we ended up turning scales to black and white is for the people to focus more on the story rather than the visual aspect of it. It's yeah. to focus on the emotional value of it rather than you know, the, the beautiful blue colors of the sea. Mm. And whatever color that you end up using on your film plays a big role. Like it actually adds more to that story and more to that emotion. And oftentimes like you'll find the, the cinematographer and the director like literally sitting in the color room very closely watching how every shadow drops how every light um is specifically for that it it's a it's a major element in the storytelling everything in post all of the element whether it's color sound design edit the vfx all of those come together and, and create one beautiful package that is yes. the end result <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> film is it, is it a common thing to go through different, like many editors? Does it happen often? Um, it sometimes happens. If you don't, um, if, you, if the director does not have a good relationship with their editor, um, oftentimes they would just change. Um, and it's a very, it's a very personal relationship. The director and the editor so spend so much time together it becomes very intimate in a way because you literally sit with the film, just the two of you for months on end, trying to make something out of it. And you're talking on like very deep, complex levels, Um, not just cutting very mechanically and and putting 
things together. And I've learned over the past 10 years that I cannot apply the same workflow and the same attitude with every director that I work with because they're all different personalities and they all have different characters. And it's my role to adapt to that as well as much as I can obviously without losing my own personality, but I also have to learn to listen to every director in their own way. Um, and I often see new editors um, kind of like walking out of the edit room with a lot of rage saying like, oh, this director doesn't know and, and this director wants this and that doesn't work and that doesn't work. And they'd be very stubborn about their own workflow and very stubborn about their way of doing things which is also not right. And, and I've been in that mistake before. I used to think that my way is the only way, mm -hmm. but you have to adapt to the director as well. It's a and collaboration. It's a collaboration. It's 100% a collaboration. So the way that they decide to express themselves, the way that they're able to express their ideas to you vary completely. And it's up to you as an editor to try to understand each director in their own way and then implement it. So don't try to fight the director, you know, straight off the bat. Give them a chance, listen to them, hear them out, really try to understand. And, and you have to kind of like have all of that, soak in all of that information and then translate it into your edit. And then, you know, if it reaches a point where you and that director completely don't mesh and that relationship completely doesn't work, then yeah, there's a really good chance that that director might have to go to another editor, someone who can, who can sit with them and talk, and, and talk to and, you know, someone who hears them out. So yeah, yeah you can be replaced. Mm -hmm. Well, <laughs> there are so many dimensions to it, you know, like... There's yeah. so many dimensions. Yeah. And we, the thing is, like, with the edit, we end up working for a very long time. So this film that I'm working on now, um, and I'm editing a film for Pierre Morel, um, who's done Taken and From Paris oh, We yeah. Love. And mm -hmm. so he's known for big action sequences, um, mm -hmm. very VFX-heavy film. So that film was shot over 52 days. And they started shooting in February of, uh, I think it was end of February. Let's say 1st of March of 2020. And until now, I'm still working on it. So it would usually, wow. yeah, so it would usually take about a year mm -hmm. to work on something that's that big. Mm -hmm. um, but even on smaller films, if you, if you consider the ratio of shooting days to edit days, it's insane, yeah. you know, on an independent film, you know, shooting days might go up to, let's say 30, anywhere between 24 to 30 days. Um, and I would work on that edit anywhere between six months to a year. Wow. That's a lot of work. <laughs> it is a lot of work. So imagine not having a good, um, a good relationship with a director, like spending six months to a year with someone that you cannot talk to and yeah. someone that, <laughs> that doesn't trust you or, or someone that you don't trust back. So really, it becomes a marriage. Yeah. <laughs> the director and the editor <laughs> are a married couple. <laughs> 
<laughs> not truth. <laughs> so yeah, you do end up fighting, and it does get it does get quite heated and <laughs> and difficult in the edit room sometimes. But um, as long as it challenges your intellect and it challenges your creativity and it pushes mm -hmm. you to do your best, then that's all you can hope for. Yeah. So I think I'm done with my questions. Uh, maybe before you leave us, you could give a, if you have a tip to give uh, us aspiring editors. A tip for aspiring editors. Um, yeah, so <laughs> actually, you know what? I'm going to tell you this funny <laughs> thing that I saw, on, I saw on Instagram the other day, someone had posted, how would you define an editor? And someone responded to that saying, it's the person that turns water into wine for seven pounds an hour and that made me laugh because i completely relate to that like an editor really is the person who's expected to do miracles you're supposed to take everything that was shot put it together make the best film possible with what you have and a lot of times you won't believe <sighs> Like, you won't believe the quality of the footage that we get or the quality of the acting that it gets so frustrating. So it's your job to kind of find that diamond in the rubble and, and, and put that into the film. Um, and if there's one tip that I have for editors is be patient and really look for the gems in there. Don't rush your edit. Don't try to finish very quickly just for the sake of finishing quickly. Like really think about it. Think about the story that you're trying to tell. Think about the emotion that you're trying to put in there. And I, I often get asked, you know, how to get into film editing. And I think the best way to get into it is start off with screenwriting or take up creative writing courses. Or if you can't take a course, then go buy yourself a book about screenwriting or Practice writing a story because if you're a good storyteller on paper, you should be able to tell a story on screen. And it works the same way. I mean, think of a word. When you write something, if you change one letter in there, you're changing the entire meaning of a word. The same applies to your edit. If you think of one second of footage has 24 frames choosing which in and out point to match with an inner out point of the next clip so your your probability is 24 times 24 the possibilities are a lot yes <laughs> and every frame that you decide to cut could change the meaning of that specific moment and if not that moment it, it might it, Dropping an entire clip might change the entire meaning of that scene. Um, and I'm sure you've watched a film where you'd look at the a look in a character's eyes and you know he's done something. Like, for example, oh, he's the killer. I've known this all along. Yes. <laughs> so it's our job as editors to know how much do we hold of that? How much do we want to, to give to the audience? How much information do we want to give? It's amazing. So do I, do I cut that frame? Do I leave that look in his eye? Or should I extend it? Should I add more of that? Do I want to make that character seem malicious? 
Do I want to give him uh, like a more innocent look? It's, it's completely up to us. And all of that is determined by how, how much or how little we end up cutting. So literally every frame counts in the edit in the exact same way that writing works. So pay attention to every little detail. I think, yeah, if I had a tip to give, it would be that. Focus on every little detail in there. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. This was a Thank really you. great conversation.